0: We don't want or shouldn't help those people. Those people feel there is no hope, no future. Time to
1: change the story. This is Re-Entry.
2: Re-Entry listeners, we are back. Season 2 of reentry is right around the corner, and we have a revamp style along with brand new content both in concept and context sure to awaken your curiosity and enlighten your understanding of the re-entry world and all that it entails. A young, attractive girl gets put out of prison on a street corner with nothing but 50 bucks and a halter-top outfit in a dangerous area. And a man who has walked through and experienced over 300-plus executions with prisoners and their families, and both of them explain the necessity and rescue Chains of Grace provides. All this and more as we explore re-entry Season 2. Till then, if you missed out on any or all of Season 1, fret not as we have put together a highlight compilation detailing the highs, lows, redemption, and introduction re-entry Season 1 revealed to us. So in the time that it takes to finish your commute, workout, nightly walk, or Sudoku puzzle, Listen in to all Chains of Grace is doing to change the way we see, know, and act in the world of re-entry.
3: We'd, we'd really like for people to know, not just know these stories, but, uh, but see the point of the stories. And I believe a lot of people stereotype us. I think we're all kinds of bad and evil and everything, you know?
2: Mm.
3: When, in fact, a lot of us have been
4: sexually abused when we were growing up. I realized, man, I had to come to
2: prison to get peace. First, we heard from a man who has ever known three things in his entire life. Gangs, prison, and chains of grace. Only to have God intervene in a story no man could write and no man could achieve on his own.
4: At a young age, I started experimenting with guns, Drugs, alcohol, and that young age, 12, 13 years old. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's—and it it evolved armed robberies and stuff like that. And from the the drugs and alcohol and the robberies, it it turned into pornography. And the pornography turned into, you know, lust and just more of a crazier life after that, which led me— to my other sentence, a 35-year sentence, which I did 17 and a half years on that one. Wow. Wow.
2: So wow. you were in for two years, got out, and then back in for 17? Yes. So you you were in, in prison for a total of 19 years? Yes. There is a story. So what got you to alter your life when you were in prison?
4: This old man that was sitting at a, at a gate... They call it a doghouse, right? The man controls the gates. Nobody goes through these gates unless he lets you through, right? So he's sitting there. I'm walking by. So I stop and I talk to him. Hey, how you doing? He just smiles, right? He he smiles and he looks at me and, and he says, I'm here to talk to you by God. That's amazing. So if you could say
2: one thing, what would you tell them? About people like you and
4: about ministries like this? It's probably to say that to me, if it took 17 years of prison, man, to finally snap out of it, man, and to see that God is there, man. If you let him in, he won't let go, man. He's not gonna let go, man. God is there 100%. I let him in and he has blessed me, man. I mean, I. I've got money, I've got a house, I got friends, and I've I've got chains of grace now, and I mean, wow.
2: Then we got to hear from men who, let's face it, most of us would never talk to, especially for the despicable crimes they committed, only to find out that they are much more like you or I than we really care to admit, and definitely still able to be redeemed.
3: I was within two weeks of being 45 years old before I ever had a pair of handcuffs put on me. Really? Real. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, so My, how do we get to that point in time?
3: Life is a downward spiral. Mm. and One little sin leads to another little sin, and before you know it, you're just in a funnel of sin. I lived a double life. Mm. I started off in finance. I, I owned several houses. So you were also fairly successful. Oh yeah, I made a lot of money and I wasted a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But uh, I actually uh, had come to the conclusion in my mind that I could do whatever I wanted to, I could do it. And I drove home and when I pulled into my property Mm -hmm. and uh, there was a couple of boys who came to my nudist park and they were miners. And that's why my, I have got two counts of aggravated sexual assault of minor boys. I'm doing 99 years aggravated. nobody but myself. I made the choices, and uh, it's the very worst thing that ever happened to me, but it's the very best thing that ever happened to me. Mm. Because uh, within a couple of weeks after that, I was on my knees in the Parker County Jail and I was praying to God. And I said, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins and come back into my life. And when I said that, the Holy Spirit has been with me day for day. He did prison with me and he came out of prison with me. When God's word, his promises he keeps, he never breaks his word. Amen. I happen
0: to have three felonies. Um, I have uh, indecency with a child by contact okay. with a 13-year-old. Um, I also had child pornography. I've, I had a picture of a 16-year-old on my um, laptop. And then I also, the, the way I got arrested was... I was actually trying to meet up with a 13-year-old who I had met online, and it turned out to be the Wiley Police Department slash uh, Collin County Sheriff's Department. Oh, so it was kind of a sting. It was absolutely Uh, a sting. I I was that guy that got busted in a sting, and today, even though I remember having those guns drawn on me, having to get out of my car, go lay in that front yard and have cuffs put on me, and just being scared to death, I can't thank them enough for doing that for me because it ultimately changed who I was. I think it was my third day sitting in county jail. I read More Than a Carpenter, and I was sitting in a cell by myself, and I read the book that I found on a book cart in uh, Collin County Jail. And um, I was sitting there reading it, and next thing you know, I get to the back, and it's about, you know, bring your life to Christ and so I read this and i that's when I fell down on my knees and I wanted his help. I wanted it and I knew I needed to change and nobody had led me to do this. It was, it was me and Jesus in that cell and that was it. I, I was done. I was absolutely done. Mm. And so, But you would never have gotten there had it not
2: been no, for the no, arrest. No, Wow, that's awesome.
0: Um, yeah, it was a big deal for me to be arrested and... Um, that's what ultimately changed my life. Because when I started that relationship with Christ, um, yes, I did start reading the Bible, and then and uh, I would talk to people. You start finding out um, what Christ's intention was for me, and um, it's pretty hard to look back and realize just how far I've come, and see it's, it's it's difficult to see that that's who I was at that time. Wow. Yeah. So today's a much different story. Um, Three years ago, I was sitting in prison, um, trying to find a place to come live, and um, my mother contacted uh, Rachel Yancey of Haves of Rest, and uh, got the application, went through that process, and she allowed me to come live here at her home. And um, she wanted to know, um, she wanted to see how honest we were with admitting our crime. Um, because she wanted somebody that wasn't in denial here. She wanted open and honest people and um, so that was part of the application process where you had to admit that you were a guilty person and that you were a sinner and that you were willing to change and follow their rules and do what they needed to here. So I got here three years ago and I was hired by Champion Home Builders and so so I started building walls for Champion and I had accepted the job, she had given me the job basically, but I hadn't talked to her. Like really, I for some reason, something compelled me to tell her the truth of who I was. I wasn't mm. just some random guy that decided to come get a job at Champion. And so I emailed her, and I still have the email because it's very important to me. Mm. I listed my, the pros, the cons. I listed that I had a bachelor's in business, a master's in accounting, and an MBA and I was building walls and so two and a half months later she calls me into her office and a cost accountant had quit and they were looking and so she happens to have this resume that I just sent her two months ago like I said on a whim it wasn't I just wanted to let her know who I was and so um, she ends up helping me Um, they looked at my background and yes they saw everything and um they gave me a shot and i don't know why i've never asked why they decided ultimately to give me this shot but i started in as a cost accountant so this is now my third position with the company um, i've moved up from building walls to a forklift driver to now i'm in the office as a cost accountant for several months well champion had decided to buy another location um, our assistant controller uh, was offered the head accountant. And so um, I can remember that sitting in the conference room after a meeting and my boss, Jim to shuts the door and I'm thinking, oh man, what do I do? Oh yeah. <laughs> he goes, well, uh, I want you to become my assistant controller. And I'm thinking, is this for real? Like this isn't like, I'm the guy who's been to prison. I'm the guy that has the felonies. And now they've already cleared it through corporate that I... When Jim does retire, that um, that I should be the head accountant there. Which, like I said, tell me if I don't send that email, this happens. Oh, I something, know. Absolutely. Something tells me to send that email, and I think it's God in the back of my head going, "Hey, do this."
2: You know, we do it our way. You're obviously successful as a you know as a bachelor. It's got your masters. You're a teacher. All this crazy stuff, and then we. We lose our path, what we think is going to get us there. We hit rock bottom, Mm -hmm. and God still redeems out of that. God can change any man's heart, and He can Mm. do it. It doesn't matter who that man is.
0: He can change his heart, and He can make him to who he is today. Mm. And it's who I am now.
2: And finally, we saw how God is bringing together other ministries' gifts and their experience to create, broaden, and more effectively change re-entry through Chains of Grace. Even so far as to use abuse, both personally and of substances, to shape a woman who is truly suited and called to lead houses of men who she has every reason not to help. Bill, you're a guy who wears many hats and because of all those different hats you've been able to pull experiences and knowledge and and give us kind of a holistic perspective of who really is in the system why they're there why when they get out they go back why why they don't even want to get out the institutionalized and stuff so you've been a chaplain you run a veterans uh, organization
1: and that's called it's called Veterans Helping Veterans and we subtitle it uh, Team Phoenix because the Phoenix is the mythical bird that comes up out of the ashes Yep. and that's what we try to do is help people whose lives are in ashes come back out of it and uh, reintegrate and that's within the prison system though right? It's in the prison system, but, but also with system when they get out. When they get out.
2: And that's really, is, is that what helped you partner with Chains of Grace, or did
1: one come before the other? Well, Chains of Grace is, is the most recent. I know Rick uh, Rick Davis and Mike Marshall, and they asked me to, to see about it if I'd be interested. Uh, I interviewed with Rick, and he just asked me one question He said, What's your passion? What's your calling? And I said, it's, it's helping guys, working people in prison that don't have anything to do or what to do or help them be successful to get out, I guess you'd say. And you ask what I get, what I get paid, and one guy asked me one time, uh, very sarcastically, he says, well, how much do you get paid to be here? And I said, I don't get paid anything to be here. He said, you mean you come here for free? He said, yeah. Or I said, yeah. And I said, I get paid nothing to come here and put up with your BS and, uh, and still come back. And that kind of shocked him.
2: At that about, point, did he take you a little more seriously then?
1: Yeah.: mm-hmm. I mean, there's a 100,000 Bible studies. Everybody wants to come to the prison and do a Bible study. Uh-huh. Not many people want to come to prison and, and do the less glorious stuff of helping people find jobs, counsel people and do those kinds of things.
2: Mm. As a chaplain, if you were to sit down with someone and they're like, "Hey, you know, wh- you know why, why, why do you do what you do?"
1: us out in the fact that we're called it because there's there's a verse says to whom much is given much is required Mm. it's it's a it's a personal satisfaction that i've helped change somebody's life and a lady that as my vets will sit there and she's my goal in life is to change the world through saving one vet at a time
2: and with that goal how many vets do you think she's actually helped change
1: i would say hundreds
2: exactly so your goal can't be a hundred a hundred vets like your goal needs to be one and if you can have that mindset and then let God do something with it that's when you're gonna see the exponential changes that that you
1: want to see um, you know if, if I help you then you can go out and help somebody else and I multiply myself by helping you and you can take what I've taught you
2: and I think that's the, the, the biggest thing I, I, I see in this your program and in this program
1: is once they are successful it breeds more success. Well, mm-hmm. so the other aspect of it, if you help a guy change his life, then he may change the life of his wife and his kids. So he's changed a family, not just him. Mm-hmm. So by providing him the wherewithal to be successful, to not come out of prison, have a place to live, have food on the table, have a job, he's got a less chance of it. If he sees, if he, if he lives in a positive environment that's nurturing, then he'll be able to. to Love his wife better, his kids better, return to society and have a positive impact. As opposed, to, like you said, being a drink.
2: As my dad always used to say, mm-hmm. you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Only so. when he's thirsty enough. Exactly, <laughs> and that's what you're saying is that's when it, they will drink, and that's when they'll be success. Is is when they hit rock bottom. Is when they have nowhere else to go. They see the game doesn't work, mm-hmm. and they need to change the game. And that change is going to come in the form of them owning up to their mistakes being able to take the tools that you give them and themselves make the decision to utilize those tools
1: well. Yeah.
5: At the age of 14, I started smoking a little bit of pot, drinking alcohol, and I started dabbling with other things at the age of 16. Um, Ended up uh, getting pregnant at the age of 16. Um, My mother, I got married at the age of 16, Mm -hmm. just prior to my 17th birthday. My mother had to sign for me to marry, and he was 21. Oh, wow. Um, I lost a baby very quickly after we uh, were married, and he became physically abusive. So I left him, and it was crazy because a man that was coming to the Sonic, where I worked for years, um, had told me, don't don't marry this guy. I know him, and he's not a good guy. I'll, you know, I understand you're pregnant, but literally, he said, I will take care of you and your baby. And, of course, you know, when you're young, you don't believe that. You
2: got the blinders on. Yeah,
5: well, I, I ran into him the day I moved out of my husband's house, and we were together for almost 11 years. I have my two children with him. It's the only two children I have. And um, we smoked weed. um, uh, And, of course, I I did math behind his back. He would never have have allowed it. Um, But we, nonetheless, we were drug users. Mm -hmm. Pot's of drug. And um, and from
2: everything I'm hearing... It's what leads into others. It is.
5: It is. And of course, he he had extramarital affairs. Um, I put up with it for a long time and finally just said, you know, he tried to keep me down. I didn't work. I stayed at home with my kids. Um, and ironically, he had always sold cars. And so I was always with him at his different car lots. And so I learned the business and actually went out and got hired on as a saleswoman and made very good money, was able to save up the money to leave and divorce him. And once I divorced, I became... began using meth all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I used and used and used and, um, and functioned for many, many years. Uh, a lot of people did not even know that I was on anything other than smoking a little bit of pot and drinking a little bit. And that was it. They had no idea I had used meth nonstop for years. Wow. But then when you, now you've lost your job, you've lost your home. You're with Now I'm with an abusive boyfriend um, over in Dallas in a drug house. Um, four years later, well, uh, I graduated uh, my bachelor's degree from Texas Wesleyan Highest Honors. Um, and what, what was I've your... got, I've got, chemo- I've got a, a licensed chemical dependency counselor internship. I've got uh, mental health and clinical and counseling psychology, and then a four-year degree of psychology from Texas Wesleyan, uh, emphasis wow. in forensic science and sociology. Okay. Yeah.
2: So you went you got your degree.
5: I could have went back in the car business, chose not to do that, that was not a good, good path good for me.
2: Few, probably a, yeah, a trigger.
5: I made thousands and I just said if I got to stay poor to stay clean and sober, Lord keep me poor um, and, and just joyful in you, I mean that's I mean, I'm serious about that. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: so as to that, you, you, you shed light on what was happening when you first got here at Havens Arrest, you shed light on what was going on with the college program. Mm-hmm. Did that like clean things up?
5: It did. And We had one. He had four houses then, um, and now we have um, we have nine. We mm-hmm. have nine. We have a couple of the chains of grace houses that are having of yep. Rest. Um, but aside from that, we have seven that are actually Haven of Rest. Um, and you know what? He and I started dating um, January of two thousand uh, and nine. This is
2: Pastor Nolan. <laughs> Pastor Nolan,
5: Nancy. We yep. dated for a long time. And we married January thirtieth of two thousand and ten. He's
2: the director. Of, he
5: is the director. Yeah, um, but one thing that I made my mind up when it came to men, because men had just been a really bad down, downfall for me, is God. If they do not love you first and foremost, you keep them out of my life, away from me, and don't put them in my path because I, I don't, I won't, I, I don't want that. They have to love you first, and it's crazy. I was gonna say even even the
2: fact that you can love men again after your story, what you've been through, <laughs> now you're surrounded by sixty something. Men, mm-hmm. you're the mom now, yeah. and you you hold nothing against these nothing. guys. Nothing,
5: and um, you know we don't take the not guilty here at all. Mm-hmm. You have to be guilty. Um, uh, there's none good, not even one. The only perfect one is Jesus. Mm. And many people have told us we're crazy, we're nuts. We, you know, how many employees you have got? We don't have employees. This isn't a paid position.
2: So that's. I mean, I think that's the big thing I want people to get out of mm-hmm. today is. <laughs> With your story, with your experience, with the way God has orchestrated your heart, your mind, your talents, uh, the knowledge He's given you to get you through college, um, with your degrees, the positions He's put you in, I, is that what makes the difference between Haven's arrest, chains of grace, and state fund yes. state funded houses? Yes, absolutely. So, what do you, what do you, Rachel, on the ground, in the midst of everything? what does it need to go from just Rachel to the next 50 Rachels and uh-huh. see not just a 100 beds, but a 1,000 beds? Right? You know,
5: and I tell you, uh, the last couple Sundays, Rick's talked about suffering. And so Rick outlines the word passion.
1: Mm. And
5: you hear a lot of people going, I'm passionate about this, I'm passionate about that. And what you're passionate about is what you're willing to suffer, suffer for. for. Mm. And mm. so what are you willing to suffer for? And, and so... I'm willing to suffer for God. I am. Mm. And and so, so you ask, what do we need? This is what we need. We need funding, you know, helping people find housing and, you know, IDs and birth certificates. But we're kind of limited right now. You've got to have the laborers, um, people that are really the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. You know, yeah. it's how do we do these things? Um, and so in the grand scheme of things, I believe that we just all have to come together um, and unify You know, do kingdom work. It's all about kingdom work. Uh, I was going
2: to say, and that's one of the big things that Change the Grace is reaching out, is bringing in other organizations and things like that that are going to partner together, pull the resources, find others who have that passion, who are willing to suffer, whether it be with their hands and feet, whether it be with their pocketbook, whether it be whatever God has gifted them with, to be able to say, okay, obviously from these stories, these people are worth it. Yeah. And now we need people to realize that and come yeah. alongside us and say, okay, yes, they're worth it. So if you've listened to this today and it has been put on your heart at all, and all we need you to do is come contact us, chainsofgrace.org. You can yeah. find us on social media under Chains of Grace, uh, Twitter and Facebook. Again, www.chainsofgrace.org.